This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Self-care, anxiety, boundaries, depression, these are just some of the mental health terms that many of us have gotten used to hearing and using in everyday conversations. Now, it's undeniable that mental health awareness has grown leaps and bounds, but are we talking about mental health so much now that it's become meaningless? Joining me on the show today to talk about how we're talking about mental health and how that is also affecting people who are struggling with serious mental health disorders is clinical psychologist Sarah Zihan. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Suen. Now, I'm going to start with a very, very broad question, I know, but how would you define what mental health is? All right. So mental health is basically our emotional and mental well-being, right? It is something that affects how we act, feel and behave. It's something that affects how we handle stress and how we engage with our environment, right? Mm -hmm. So if we were to think about mental health as something that exists on a spectrum, Mm -hmm. on the one end, we have vitality, you know, feeling really motivated, um, inspired, Right. And on the other hand, then we have that sense of fatigue, Mm -hmm. um, isolation, right, Uh, uninspired, demotivated. Mm. Now, um, as I said, you know, we know mental health awareness has grown tremendously. But how have you seen that awareness grow as well, I guess, in terms of, you know, what, how or when we talk about mental health? Um, You know, it's definitely grown so much, especially in the last couple of years Mm. um, after COVID, right? So I think previously, um, when we talk about mental health, let's say about five to 10 years ago, there would be still a lot of um, stigma, a lot of um, misunderstanding about mental health, uh, a lot of, I think, labeling in terms of, you know, people with mental health-related issues are weak, dangerous, incapable, or, you know, there's, of course, um, that, that Tanjung Rambutan mm. sort of I- idea, mm. right, when, when, when we talk about mental health. Whereas post-COVID or during the COVID period, there was a lot more conversation about mental health, a lot more awareness um, about things like, you know, people suffering from depression as a result of being isolated, mm. uh, Coming out, um, you know, after the lockdown, a lot more awareness about things like anxiety. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think the awareness and conversations around mental health has definitely grown, uh, whether it's on media or whether it's in community and conversations in corporations. Mm. Do you find that people usually fully understand what they're talking about? Because sometimes I feel like we tend to overuse certain terms, right? Like I'm feeling burnt out, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling stressed. But, but those have heavy connotations when we talk about it from the perspective of um, from from a clinical perspective, right? So do you think people fully understand the, the, the gravity of it? I think, you know, having these having access to these terms can be empowering in the sense where, okay, I understand something about myself beyond something is wrong with me. Mm. Right? Beyond I can't, beyond I don't feel like it. Right. So when we have access to terms like I'm burnt out, uh, I'm stressed 
or I'm anxious, that can be empowering in the sense where, oh, hey, here's a name mm. for what I'm going through, right? But at the same time, when that access is from a source, I think that simplifies mm. those terms, then yes, there is a lack of, I suppose, depth of understanding, right? Mm. Where if we put it in a clinical sense, you know, you may have, yes, anxious feelings, but you don't have an anxiety disorder, mm. right? You have experienced some kind of uh, trauma or adversity as a result of COVID, but I may not say that you have post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, so those things can mean very, you know, very different things if we put it in a clinical setting. Mm. So in a clinical setting, for example, you would have a professional to sort of help you break it down further, right? To help you further understand what you're going through. Yes, 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 mm. correct. Do you find that there are still things, um, you know, I mean, there are things that people are more comfortable talking about, but do you find that there are aspects to mental health that people still sort of shy away from, that there is still a taboo attached to it? Yes, correct. I think especially when it comes to, I mean, I think we very loosely use terms like um, anxiety, mm. right? Unfortunately, it's it's the case now where, you know, I hear a lot like, yeah, yeah, everybody has anxiety, mm. right? Or yeah, every other person feels depressed, you know? Um, so there, there's a lot of like loose usage of these terms. And so then it kind of takes understanding away from, I think, especially more severe things like when somebody experiences depression to the point that they experience psychosis, mm. right? Um, other, you know, I guess more severe forms of mental illness like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia is, you know, often not talked about. Right? Mm. I think suicidality is also something that we do shy away from mm. when we talk about mental health. Right, I think it's so much about normalizing those other things like depression and anxiety. But at the same time, when it comes to heavier things, really not knowing how to go about talking about them yet. Because mm, mm. no matter how much we try to break that taboo, I mean, we, we're chipping away at it, but but there's still so much left to be done, right? Yes, yes, correct. There's, there's a lot of discomfort around these sort of topics, which is, I think, understandable. Mm. Are there things that you say we are doing right um, right now, you know, when it comes to talking about mental health? I think what's great that I've observed in the community is that there is this sense of compassion and mm. sense of curiosity like a lot of times when I meet people people want to know right mm. people want to know okay you know tell me more about what what actually is mental health right because we hear the the term thrown out a lot right and they want to understand how does somebody get depressed right they want to understand um, how to help someone with anxiety or depression right so I think that has been very encouraging mm. and I think the consistent message um, that's being delivered everywhere is if you experience these symptoms here's a number you can call like please seek professional help mm. right I think that's that's great that we're moving towards normalizing help seeking mm. so it starts from understanding what you're going through um, understanding what it means and then from there moving on to actually seeking help not just stopping it okay I have the words to explain what I'm feeling but I'm not doing anything about it yes correct correct 
Mm. All right, we'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion when we come back. On the show with me today is clinical psychologist Sarah Zihan to discuss how we are talking about mental health and whether we are having meaningful discussions about mental health or are they simply conversations using mental health buzzwords. We'll be right back on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn with me, Lim Su An. Clinical psychologist Sarah Zihan is joining me on the show today to discuss the kinds of conversations we're having about mental health and why it's important for us to really understand what we're saying when we use terms like um, we're feeling stressed, we're feeling anxious, or I'm feeling depressed. Um, Now, if you are online, if you're on social media platforms, you'll have seen people um, talking about how, um, you know, quote unquote, I'm setting boundaries, my friends are toxic. People are gaslighting me. Sarah's nodding along to all these terms that I'm throwing out because, you know, these are terms that we've seen so much online. You know, Sarah, I've heard people describe this as therapy speak. Is that an accurate way of describing it? Um, What is therapy speak? I guess therapy speak today is what psychobabble was before. Right. So before when we use the term psychobabble is when we describe a person as being OCD if they're, you know, neat. Right. Um, These days, therapy speak, I guess, means words that we usually hear in the therapy room. Right. Words that are that come from psychoeducation. Right. Where we talk about, you know, things like, I guess, um, trauma, relationships and then picking out those terms and using them in day-to-day conversation. Mm. Um, I I don't know if this is a universal thing, but I feel like when I hear the term psychobabble, that feels like there's a slightly negative undertone to it. It sort of it just sounds like ah oh, that's psychobabble. It doesn't it it doesn't have it doesn't have that sort of gravity to it. I mean do you do you find that therapy speak has that same sort of underlying feeling to it that people sort of don't take it seriously? Um so I think Uh, Similarly to what I said earlier, is that when those terms, you know, first, I suppose, came out or were first popularized, it has that empowering sort of element, Mm. right? It's like, oh, okay, so this is what's happening. This person is gaslighting me Um, or, you know, my colleague or my work environment is is toxic, Mm -hmm. right? So again, having that sense of, okay, I understand this is what's happening. There is a name for this. I feel empowered. And ideally, what we want to do is to be able to take action, Mm. you know. But then when those terms are so loosely used it does tend to then have that negative connotation, right? It does then tend to have this quality of like, yeah, okay, now everybody's toxic, right? Um, and I think the concern on, I suppose, you know, the, the clinical end is when we use these terms, if before it was about understanding, the concern now is do these terms then kind of separate, mm. Right? Does it create the sense of other? There's, you know, me and there are other people, mm. other people who are toxic. Or, you know, a term that I, I don't know if you've heard before, you know, neurotypical or neurodivergent, mm. right? So, neurodivergent, meaning people who are on the spectrum of autism or ADD or, you know, have different needs. Right, where it's then it's me and other. Mm. So me who has perhaps mental health difficulties and other people who don't understand me. Mm. How can that sort of othering be harmful 
both to the individual and to the people around them? I think because it creates this sense of isolation, Mm. right? So what first starts off as being empowering, where, okay, this is is me, someone who may have uh, struggles with my mental health, right? Someone who may be bullied or dealing with a toxic environment. Um, but then there there is this lack of further education on how do I cope with this? Mm. How do I negotiate with my environment? And it just becomes a full stop, mm. right? It's like other people are toxic, narcissistic, mm. full stop, mm. right? And I am feeling endangered, full stop. And so I create boundaries, full stop, mm. right? There is that lack of back and forth, mm. right? So ideally, would that person, would you then have discussions with the other person that you are talking about? Yes, correct. So ideally, you know, when we pick up these terms, so we understand better about what's going on with us and, and our, our setting, we want to be able to, to talk to somebody about it, ideally a, a mm. professional, mm. right, who may be able to guide you on how you can navigate um, your surrounding with this knowledge that you have. Now, you brought up, um, well, we both brought up the term boundaries as well. And I want to use that as an opportunity to bring up an example, because this was something that sort of went around quite a bit in pop culture online. Um, and, and that was when screenshots of uh, alleged messages between actor Jonah Hill and his ex-partner Sarah Brady were published, um, in which um, uh, Jonah Hill lists boundaries, uh, quote unquote, for his partners, you know, telling telling her that she should do things like or remove photos of herself in a bathing suit while she's surfing because she's a surfer, um, telling her that she shouldn't be doing these things with other male friends, um, not to be friends with other female friends as well, um, among other things. Now, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to sort of dissect that relationship, but mm-hmm. I want to use this as an example to talk about what boundaries mean, because people seem to use that very loosely. Um, so in this case, you know, what do you make of the way that he's using the term boundaries in, in setting what she should and shouldn't do? Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, stop myself from psychoanalyzing Jonah Hill here, <laughs> right? But I think what was problematic about how he used boundaries there mm. is this, I tell you what to do, mm. right? I tell you no, and then it's a full stop. Right. So ideally, or when we think about healthy boundaries, we want to think about negotiation, mm-hmm. right? Especially in relationships where it's between two people, mm. right? It's not one person who says, you do this because I like it or because I'm comfortable mm. or uncomfortable. Mm. And then that conversation ends there, right? Ideally, healthy boundaries is about being able to have open, honest communication with somebody about our needs, right, our levels of comfort, and then getting feedback from the other person and learning how to negotiate that, right? It also has a lot to do with our self-esteem. When the the term boundary used in psychology, it's this idea of, is my self-esteem healthy enough in the sense where I can stick to my values, mm. where I can learn to separate between how I feel and how another person feels, where I don't take this like, 100% responsibility for how somebody else feels, right? And so traditionally, that's what boundaries are about, mm. right? Unfortunately, how it tends to come across these days is cut off, 
Mm. Right? When I say I'm setting boundaries between myself and this person or these people or work or whatever, it's I draw a line, cut them off, or you know, it's a it's a straight up no or full stop. So if if they cross that line, for example, then that's a straight up we're done. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm cancelling you. Mm. But in a healthy relationship, I guess, could you give an example of how that negotiation would work out? Okay, so for example, um, in a healthy relationship, perhaps one person may be feeling very overwhelmed with their friend. Mm. Maybe, you know, since we're talking about mental health, right? So they might be feeling very overwhelmed with a friend who is going through difficulties with their mental health, right? And that friend may be like reaching out, uh, you know, every, every so often to the point where you might feel uncomfortable, mm. right? Because you might feel like you don't have the, the, the emotional space or the mental space for it right now. You don't have the skill set, mm. right? So it feels some, like something is overwhelming, mm. right? Like this person has crossed a, a, your threshold of what's comfortable or workable for you. And so instead of going, okay, I can't handle this anymore and just, you know, either avoiding them and saying, okay, I'm drawing a boundary, so I'm not going to answer the phone, mm. right? Or I'm drawing a boundary, so I'm going to tell this person, hey, I'm too tired, right? And then full stop. Right. So ideally, what we want to do is we want to be able to have a conversation, of course, when, you know, when you're feeling much more calm and settled to say, hey, I, I noticed that this has been happening where and I understand what you're going through. But at the same time, I feel very overwhelmed and mm-hmm. I want to help you. Right. Um, but at this point, I'm not quite sure how. Is there something that that we can do mm-hmm. together to perhaps solve this? Right. So it's it's collaborative. It's it's together. It's me telling you what I need and also wanting to hear feedback from you and then trying to work out a a workable action. Mm. Why is that important in a relationship, whether or not it's a romantic one or a platonic one or even a familial one? That is very important because it teaches us to ask for what we need, Mm -hmm. right? And it is also teaching us that it is that relationships is this constant kind of back and forth, right? Where there's a lot of trial and error to see, okay, what works? How can we tweak this? What can we do? And not a straightforward, can you empathize with me? Can you say exactly what I need to hear when I need to hear you say it? Mm. Right? Um, So having that that I think that back and forth is is important yeah to to help us I think also understand what we need help other people also to understand what we need mm. you know as a mental health professional Sarah what are the positive I'll start with the positive first because I'm sure there are two sides of the coins to everything um what are the positive impacts of um people you know that lay people using mental health terms more often using te- therapy speak more often in their daily conversations do you see that sort of spilling over into um clinical sessions um yes so what are i suppose that the positive things is that when people understand or you know when people read or watch something online that they feel like they resonate with it helps them to understand themselves better and for a lot of the people that you know come into my office or that I have spoken to it's 
oh, you know, I saw this thing online and I thought, hey, that's me or that really resonates with me. Mm. Um, and so that, that's why I'm here to talk about it, to see what I can do about it. Right. And that's that's great, I think. Mm. Hmm. Um, but you know, when it comes to, I guess, the flip side, you know, and 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 I'm talking, I'm drawing examples from physical health. For example, we have heard doctors saying that patients go into their clinic, say, okay, I have ABC, and doctors tell them, no, you don't, but they still hold on to that convictions. Do you see that in a mental health session as well? Yes, and and I think it's good that they make it to the mental health session, like hmm. they make it to my office, and not just sort of assume assume something and, you know, just kind of, again, put a full stop to it, right? And if we relate it to physical symptoms, I'm sure you, like I, have, you know, Google searched, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, a pain that you might be experiencing and then Google tells you, like, ah, oh, this is a sign of, like, stomach cancer mm. or something, right? I don't just immediately conclude that, oh, okay, I have stomach cancer, full, full stop. stop, right? I look at it as, oh no, this is a warning sign. Mm. I better go and see a doctor mm-hmm. and talk to my doctor about it. So I would like to, th- to hope, I think, that we treat mental health the same way, where we might do a screening test or we might Google something online and it might show that, okay, these are signs and symptoms of an anxiety disorder or PTSD. And this tells me that, okay, I need to consult a professional, you know, and and to see if I really have this diagnosis. Mm, All right. Um, You spoke a bit earlier about how our conversations about mental health has also been to the detriment of more serious mental illnesses, right? Like PTSD or schizophrenia. Um, Could you elaborate a bit more on that? How how have our conversations that have normalized more minor mental health issues impacted people who are living with more serious mental health disorders? All right. So I think I'll answer this question in like two parts, mm-hmm. right? Because it, I think it's not just more serious mental health disorders that are affected, but I think also when it comes to people who have, you know, major depressive disorder mm. or an anxiety disorder, they may less likely come to seek help from a professional because they might feel like, okay, you know, everyone else around me seems to have anxiety. Mm. This seems to be normal. If other people are finding some kind of other way to cope, uh, why should I need to go to a professional? Mm. Right. And I think similarly, and unfortunately, what I'm also seeing, I think, on the ground is that, um, you know, other people also have this idea, like family members or co-workers, um, they might say something like, yeah, okay, you are depressed and the other person is also depressed. The other person can show up for work. Why can't you? Mm, right? So it could be used, it could be weaponized against you in a work setting. Yes, 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 exactly. So if before the conversation may have sounded like, um, you know, if th- this person can, how come you cannot? Yep. Right now, it's more specific to oh, this other person is also diagnosed with anxiety or depression, and they can. Why can't you? Right. So when there's, I think, we overuse these words, um, it creates a lot of problem. Right. And so when we talk about um, more severe illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar, um, for example, I think it also because there's so much like underrepresentation right, of these illnesses. And when they are, you know, being sort of shown on media or anything, it's very extreme. You know, it's people who have schizophrenia, um, have, you know, these psychotic delusions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they are dangerous. They are, you know, your 
weapon-holding serial killers and, and things like that, right? Or people who have bipolar are drug users and all of these things where it may not be like that at all. Mm, right? It may not it's, be directly related at all. Yes, yes, exactly. But because we don't have conversations about more serious mental illnesses, um, they just kind of go, go, go sidelined or un, unnoticed, mm. right? Mm. So then is it necessarily good or bad that we're having more of these conversations about mental health using these mental health terms using therapy speak in our daily conversations i mean i mean is it possible to be so black and white to say that it's good or bad no i don't think we can say that it's you know either good mm. or bad i think it's more of the how right mm. how are we using these terms um are we using terms like depression and anxiety because it's hard to say that i'm just sad mm right? It somehow, it seems more comfortable now to say, I'm depressed. Rather than I'm just sad. Yeah, rather than I'm sad, right? Or I have anxiety versus I'm worried about something or I'm scared of something. What do you think has made this sort of therapy speak so alluring to people? Then why are people so comfortable to say that rather than just saying, oh, I'm sad or I'm worried? I think because you know, there's the, there's a sense of community. I think now around around these around these terms or around mental health, which is again not a bad thing. Mm. You know, because it helps um, people understand that they are not alone in their struggle, which is great and which is really empowering. Mm -hmm. But again, it takes away from the you know un the stuff that underlies the label, mm. right? We yes, we talk about you know, I'm depressed or I'm anxious and I have this and that symptoms. But are we really talking about what's making me sad? Mm. Are we talking about how hard you feel life is or how much you're struggling? Or do we just keep talking about these terms mm. and our symptoms? It's not So it's not just about how you feel, but what's making you feel that way as well. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Right. And, and again, I think the, the earlier point about are we using these terms to put ourselves in a box? Mm. Right. Um, that, that I think that's the scary part. I am, you know, we put ourselves in this box of I am somebody who has anxiety. Therefore, I can do this. I cannot do this. Mm. Right. I am someone who has depression. Therefore, da, 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 da. Right. But it takes away from, you know, so much, uh, so many other aspects of ourselves as individuals. Right. Mm. How much taboo and stigma do you still see then surrounding mental health despite all these conversations that we're having um how does that impact the lives of people around us um honestly i think it's very mixed i think um you know depends on which like pockets of, of society mm. we're talking about you know people who i suppose are more sort of well-read or more exposed to to media in terms of reading these things, whether online or watching something on, you know, TikTok and and on Instagram, you know, they may have, I suppose, more awareness, more knowledge mm -hmm. about these things. But for a lot of others, right, who may not have the time or the resources, um, it just, again, just feels like this this word that just is thrown out or that they hear a lot, mental health. So it's like an enigma, right? <laughs> There's this this thing, I hear about it, but I don't know what it is. You it don't confuses understand what it me. is. Yeah, I don't understand. Um, and then I think the tendency is to, again, if we keep hearing it again and again, then we, we just simplify it mm. to like, okay, 
everyone has it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has some kind of mental health problem. And then it, it creates stigma and I think in a different way. Mm, right, mm. different way than before. Mm. All right. Um, I want to sort of then, you know, move towards wrapping up our discussion to talk about what we can do better. Um, and if I start at the individual level, right, how can we improve or change how we talk about mental health issues, especially serious mental health disorders, without taking away from the gravity of it? I think um, what is important, you know, yes, it's great that there's a lot of psychoeducation right now, but I think alongside psychoeducation, can we also hear from mental health professionals? Mm. Can we hear from people who have lived experience, right? Um, And this includes individuals who have uh, bipolar, right, who have schizophrenia. There's, uh, you know, I think very rich experiences that we miss out on, right, that are very inspiring, that's out there, that kind of gets lost Mm. in all this other, I suppose, therapy speak that's out there on social media. Mm. All right. Um, Should we be more mindful about how often we use these terms? Because I I feel like sometimes even I myself, I'm sure, don't realise when I'm using it, right? I mean, should I be sort of reflecting on everything I say? Um, <laughs> well, of course, I, you know, sometimes you can't help what, mm. what sort of comes out automatically. But yes, I think it is important to be mindful of what I mean when I use this term, mm. right? And, you know, research, you know, around emotions has shown us that when we are able to more accurately label our feelings, mm-hmm. that helps us to sort of, number one, reduce the impact of our feelings, and number two, be able to think about how we can come out of it, mm-hmm. right? So using these terms very loosely is actually can sometimes be not very helpful for us, mm-hmm. right? So we want to be more mindful of when I say I'm anxious or when I say I'm depressed, what do I really mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Are there, you know, more words or more combinations of words that can more specifically describe how I feel. Because mm. mm. I'm, I'm thinking that if I'm able to expand upon my vocabulary and think yes. about what exactly I'm going through, that would also help the other person, whoever that I'm talking to, also help me, right? Because otherwise, if I just tell someone that I'm anxious, I, I mean, even if I don't know what I'm going through, how would the other person who's trying to help me understand? Yes, 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 exactly. And and the thing is, that's what happens in our clinics as well, mm-hmm. right? When I'm I'm speaking to somebody who is, let's say, for example, diagnosed with major depressive disorder, it is, you know, it is also about understanding what are some, what are those other underlying feelings or you know, mix of feelings that you feel. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, what about the role of media, Sarah? Because um, you, you touched on it a bit earlier, but I have noticed that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about um, serious mental health disorders, how they come up in news reports, um, it always, it, it not always, it often gets linked to violent crimes. You know, even if those are rare, you see how, okay, a serious crime has occurred and then somehow the perpetrator is said to, oh, that person was diagnosed with a mental health issue. That person was is struggling with a mental illness. Do you do you think some, we should be more careful with things like that? Does it does it make a difference in the public's perception? Yes, I do think it does make a difference. It does accumulatively sort of create this idea 
that, you know, like we said before, people who have, for example, schizophrenia are, are dangerous, mm. right? People who have mental health disorders are dangerous. And so we do want to be very careful about how we talk about mental health and how, I suppose, journalists report these things. And I think these days there are courses, you know, that, that you can take on um, how to report on, on mental health, um, having, I think, uh, a quick course, like an introductory session on mental health, I think has been very helpful for a lot of people. Mm. All right. To um, wrap up our discussion, Sarah, ideally, right, um, what do you want to see as a mental health professional as a result of the conversations that we are having in society about mental health? I think what I hope for is that when we have conversations about mental health, that we move away from focusing so much on the label, mm -hmm. right, and lean towards compassion and curiosity and understanding. It's like, okay, you are going through this thing. Um, you know, what else is happening with you? You know, how can I be of help rather than putting you or another person in, in a box, right? Or you and your community in mm. a box. Can we use our knowledge about mental health to create connection, right? Where it's about, you know, you're struggling as a human being. I, as a human being, also have my struggles. Can we come together and understand each other better so we can, you know, help each other out? Mm. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you, Sue Anne. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking to clinical psychologist Sarah Zihad about how we're talking about mental health in our daily conversations. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Sue Anne and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.